It's time for Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And here are your hosts, Inside Towers Managing Editor, Jim Fryer, and Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief, Leslie Stimson. And welcome to Tower Talks. I'm Jim Fryer, like the man said, Managing Editor of Inside Towers. And we are sort of celebrating our first year of the Tower Talks podcast, uh, which we will fittingly represent with a year review of, of 2019 and go over some of the top stories that uh, we've encountered over the year. I have with me today our Washington Bureau Chief, Leslie Stimson, and John Celentano, our contributing analyst. So I'm glad to have them both here, and they will talk about what they've seen over this past year. One thing we do at Inside Towers is we measure stories that, that you, our readers, clicked on over the past year, and it was it was kind of a mixed bag. It was it was very interesting. And the first story we had, Leslie, was, and by far and away, this was the most clicked on story. It was about T-Mobile. It was about them halting construction and extending payment terms to subcontractors. And this has been a huge issue over the year. That how that has affected the industry and, and really slowed the industry in in many ways uh, is a lot of people have not only had to put projects on hold, but some have even suffered uh, by, it's caused a couple of companies their, their business, in fact, because of the, the delayed payment terms. Um, so that, since that had such a huge impact, I, I assume that's why uh, it was probably the most clicked on story of the, of the year. I don't know. Leslie, is that your, your take on it? It was, um, and there are many reasons for that, which I'll go into in a minute. Great. We'll talk about that. Uh, the next story, just to show you this was a, a mixed bag, is uh, <laughs> one that we just ran recently, and this was a, the disturbed woman who took some pot shots at some tower climbers um, who were across the street from her, and uh, for whatever reasons, she, uh, she didn't like that. She was hearing voices coming from the cell tower and uh, took some shots at the, at the climbers who were out there. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. Um, but um, she then barricaded herself inside her house and was, was of course, arrested and is, was released on a $10,000 bond. But uh, it, it kind of shows you the, the different interests of, of readers and, and what, can, what can catch their interest. So uh, the third story is uh, which holds water, insurance certificate or policy? So an insurance story actually was the number three clicked on story for the for the year number four was uh regarding dish and dish has uh, certainly been uh that one of the players that you know we're not not sure exactly what their ultimate position is going to be in the in the market and, and how it's affected by the merger so any anything uh that that gives color to what what dish is doing uh is certainly has has your interest as our as our readers so we, we want to continue to uh, to follow that and follow anything that uh, uh, regards the development of of dish as it prepares to build out a, a, a 5g network our number five story uh ripon california r-i-p-o-n i hope i'm saying that right uh where sprint had a, a monopole put up at a, on a school ground and the, the tower was they, they took the tower down 
due to the backlash they got from parents who felt that the tower was giving their children cancer to cut to the chase. Um, and it was a very sad story. Parents obviously were looking for answers, and that's, that's understandable that, that they would do that. And the tower being, I guess, the most visible thing there, uh, that's, that's what drew the attention. Unfortunately, the story was picked up by the press, by the, the local television stations, by the local newspapers, blasting headlines and stories about do cell towers cause cancer in children. And they showed picture of these, these poor kids who, who had cancer, who were in the hospital. And Sprint reacted by taking the tower down. And it turned out, subsequently, and, and this is a story that we've reported throughout the year, that when it was investigated, that the actual cancer-causing agent was not from the tower, but in the groundwater from a, from a Nestle's factory that had been near the school years ago. But... Of course, would the TV stations or the, or the newspapers correct themselves? No, that, that really hasn't happened. In fact, that story has taken hold, and we see it time and time again. In fact, we have another story coming out just today in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, where parents were upset over a tower going in on, on a school property, and they were citing the Ripon, California case. And I've seen that time and time again in stories, even international stories went out of London that cited that as the case. So we've been not only tracking it, but also kind of tracking the, the people that have helped fan that flame. EMF experts come out of the, come out of the woodwork. And this was our number five story. It, 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 our headline was, I'm no expert, but. And it was about three different people who, proclaim themselves as experts on EMF and have said, oh yes, this is absolutely the, the cause of the problem and uh, have helped fan that flame with, with parents and uh, with the media. So, uh, as I said, that's been a pet project of mine and we've been covering it. To that end, we are conducting a research project to try to gather information from all the tower companies out there as to how many towers they actually have on school grounds. Because what we want to show is not only how many are out there, but what kind of contributions are being made to these schools uh, that, that help pay teachers' salaries, that, that help uh, add projects to the school, sports programs, for instance. That's the contribution that the tower industry makes to schools. And we want to try to quantify that through, through our research by saying, okay, there are X number of towers located on schools and they generate X amount of revenue for these schools and, and basically counter that negativity with, uh, with this project. So far, the good news is we've uh, had one of the big three has already given me their information, as have uh, several middle-tier companies have, have supplied me with with their information, and to those of you out there, and I, and I hope tower owners out there will will submit their information to me. Uh, you have my word that it will stay confidential. That we're not going to say this company has X number, this company has X number. We're we're trying to compile a total, and and that's our goal. If you're out there and you have towers on school properties and want to contribute to 
coming out with a kind of a counter to this, this negativity about towers on school sites and create a positive story, I hope you send it in. And if you have any questions, please call me or, or send me an email. So Leslie Stimson, our Washington Bureau Chief, is the one who's uh, inside the Beltway. And she's been staying on top of the major issues, not just really inside the Beltway, but internationally as, as well. Leslie, what is going on in Washington, D.C.? Well, Jim, a lot as we reach the end of the year. I'm going to start off with a little bit more color on the T-Mobile Sprint deal. Dish Network Chair Charlie Ergen testified Tuesday three banks would give Dish a total of $10 billion to build out its 5G network if the deal goes through. And he said the Timo Sprint deal gives Dish everything it needs to compete, you know, as a fourth competitor. The big question is whether Sprint can survive on its own if the deal doesn't happen. Um, and the judge heard conflicting testimony on that. The state attorney generals and the Rural Wireless Association doubt that T-Mobile will keep its promises that it's made based on past experience. Um, the longer the trial goes on, the fewer odds that analysts give the deal for actually coming to a close. The next big topic that's been on the front burners here is C-Band. The big question here was whether to hold a private or a public auction of 280 megahertz of the band. That's out of 500. Chairman Pai decided on a public auction overseen by the FCC and the Senate Commerce Committee sent to the full Senate a bill to send at least 50% of the auction proceeds to the U.S. Treasury. Now, this all happened fairly recently, correct? Yes, yes. That was last week. And under the bill, the auction would start no later than December of 2020. Um, still undecided is how to structure the licenses, because right now the satellite companies have access to the full 500 megahertz of spectrum. They call it full band, full arc. So when a channel experiences interference, they can switch the broadcast programming to another channel immediately. And that is a big thing when you're transmitting live programming. Uh, the next topic, CBRS, Citizens Broadband Radio Service. This is interesting because it's the first time the FCC is trying to get licensees to share spectrum. Um, incumbent naval radar uh, licensees operate along the coasts, and the, the concept is newer licensees will uh, be able to use the band when the naval radar is not using a spectrum access system that will let it know when the band is free for them. And now we come to the repack. Um, it, it's interesting, well, one of the reasons it's interesting, because television is being repacked for the second time since the 1990s when the stations went digital. Uh, broadcasters, well, engineers anyway, tell me they think of the repack as the enforced march. According to the FCC, three-quarters of the nearly 1,000 television stations that are moving to a new channel have done so, but a lot of stations have made those deadlines by moving to temporary or auxiliary facilities. 
So there's still a lot of tower work that's going to need to be done for the repack. Um, now, weren't, weren't, weren't they saying it's about three-quarters of the way done? Yeah, but that's kind of a false thing because uh, the stations have, a lot of them have moved to temporary AUX facilities. They're still going to have to move to their new facilities with with more tower work. So the... Um, the so, so in station, your, your opinion, how, how far done is it? Mm, I would say maybe halfway. And we're in the middle of winter, so a lot of deadlines, I think, are still going to be missed. The good news is reimbursements have now begun for the FMs and the low-power television stations that were displaced. Originally, they were left out of the reimbursement, so that's a good thing that uh, Congress got them in. And that's all that I have. Great. Thank you very much. Now let's turn over to our contributing analyst, John Celentano. Hey, John, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Jim? I'm doing well. Thanks for getting on here with us. John has been our contributing analyst for the year and has done some of the deep dives and has done a great job for us over the year. John, what have you seen as the kind of the major major stories you've had to deal with here? You know, my premise in looking at the market, uh, and, and by the way, uh, uh, just for reference, uh, I, I've been around since 1G. So <laughs> I've seen a lot of change, a lot of evolution, a lot of G's, a, a lot of G's, uh, and a lot of infrastructure. But I've, I've paid close attention over time to what the carriers are spending on building their network. Typically, what their capex is, their capital expenditures, and I've found that there are patterns that uh, repeat themselves, and then there are anomalies that often throw the market off kilter because uh, the expectation for spending is there and for whatever reason uh, there's a decision made there's a market condition that uh, uh, comes up and uh, the spending pattern changes historically uh, Jim we've seen the wireless carriers uh, start off the first quarter of the year uh, modestly typically at the winter months the outdoor activity is slow and then through the second quarter, you see a jump up in, in spending levels. It'll kind of tail off a little bit in the third quarter. A lot of it related to summer vacations or just summer activity. And uh, not. And then, then there's a big spike in the fourth quarter. Well, <clears throat> you know, we've seen everything from declines to flattening of those curves to, um, to uh, major spike ups in, either uh, because of technology or because of uh, availability of spectrum or what have you, and and regulatory rulings on, on top of that. But uh, this year has, has, has been kind of interesting. You know, there's been a couple of glitches, you know, and I always start with what do the carriers provide as guidance for the year and use that as the sort of the, the, the lighthouse that we're aiming for in uh, in all the spending patterns. And then we track it quarter to quarter. And and see how what have they done in the quarter? How much does that represent of the total year? And then what's left for the balance of the year to give you know the contractors, the vendors, an idea of you know what what their outlook could be for their coming quarters. And uh, it started out in the first quarter into the second quarter pretty good, and then we uh, then uh, we heard about T-Mobile um, uh, backing off on on their spending uh, pending. 
I guess ost ostensibly pending the the approval for the merger with Sprint. And and you know some of my articles I have looked at what it means uh, if the two companies combine. What it means from the spending point of view, for instance. And you know our regulators and our legislators uh, um, are raising objections to the merger because. Well, we'll be doing away with four, a fourth vendor, and now we only have three, so competition is lessened. But when you look at what these carriers individually spend, AT&T and Verizon clearly account for almost two-thirds, certainly over 60% of the total spend in the industry. Uh, T-Mobile is about, uh, and, and, and by the way, they're in the 8 to 9 to 10 billion a year range. T-Mobile comes in about half that, and then Sprint is really less than that again. So you actually have, instead of four competing carriers, you have like a one, a one, a two, and a three. But when you put two and three together, it, it you know, they, they, they are now at a scale that they're competing on par with the, with the AT&T and and uh, and um, and Verizon. So my thesis is that we actually have three strong competitors now instead of two strong and, and two two minor players. So you know we watched carefully. You know how the uh, how the guidance has played out and how the spending has been uh, spooled out and in, in terms of network bills and network infrastructure. And all along, you know the driver for this is the the coming of five G. Right. We've seen the the cycle, we're at the tail end of the cycle on the build out of 4G. And so the expectation is there's a whole new round of uh, infrastructure build out with 5G. Not so much that we're just continuing to add macro cells, but because of the performance characteristics of uh, a 5G, uh, high data throughput, low latency, and the, 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 the requirement, the criteria is you push the antennas closer to the customers, which means a lot more small cells, which means uh, 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 in-building applications, which means uh, a lot of unique deployments that uh, have been uh, sort of above and beyond what we've uh, known about and and and, uh, and become accustomed to in the past. So, you know, it's it's tracking capital expenditures is kind of um, taking the pulse of the industry, and uh, you know, we got to we have to rely on on the carriers to sort of tell us what they're going to spend, but then we watch what they do quarter to quarter throughout the year and uh, uh, some interesting uh, revelation in this past year. And, um, you know, it still raises questions about where we're going into the new year. Sure. And, and that's something we'll continue to track through you and, and your unique uh, mm -hmm. vantage point of the industry through through 2020. But, yeah, it all, all boils down to CapEx and what they have to spend and how they're going to spend it. So we're, we're all kind of dependent on on that metric. Were there any other stories that caught your eye this year that you produced for us that you think are worthy of mention? There are some tangential developments uh, that go in parallel with the development of the uh, of the overall network. Certainly uh, the you know the with the opening up of new frequency bands uh, you know now we now we instead of having a couple of major bands that we we run our cellular networks on now we have low bands where we've had 700 and 800 megahertz 900 megahertz for a while now we're opening up 600 meg in the low band mid band is becoming more prominent i think the outlook for 5g deployments is that it's going to make extensive use of mid band frequencies particularly at 2.5 gig and 3.5 gig this new cbrs band 
and and that and then you know we've seen a, a bigger push to open up millimeter wave type applications uh, because of the amount of uh, available spectrum in those bands. The problem is that you, you know the bands have to be you have to tailor the network to the bands. There's issues regarding uh, distance. There's issues regarding uh, channel size. Um, uh, proximity to the customers, uh, interference issues. So uh, I wrote an article uh, a, a little ways back to say we're going to need a you know a play on the on that line from Jaws. We're going to need a bigger boat. A bigger and, boat, right? Yeah, uh, we're going to need a bigger wireless boat. Meaning, yeah, we have to accommodate and we need all of the frequencies that are being proposed uh, in all three uh, segments: low, mid, and high band type frequencies. And what it suggests, uh, Jim, is that the, the infrastructure upon which those frequencies operate is different. You know, we, we, we move from macro cell to small cells to kind of a access points and strand-mounted uh, uh, cell sites uh, to, uh, to in-building applications that, uh, that can cover from DAS to small cells and, and uh, signal boosters. So... Uh, you know the, the the robustness of the network and the complexity of the network is is increasing as we look to develop new uses and the the uses of these frequencies is really driven by really the, the demand on the network is driven by two main factors one is the number of devices that are out there and that are growing and when we talk about devices we're talking about smartphones, obviously. We're talking about laptops and tablets. And then all these sensors, the, the so-called the Internet of Things sensors that, uh, and the machine-to-machine -machine communications that are being carried over the wireless network, uh, the public cellular network. So uh, you multiply that by the amount of data that each of these devices is consuming. And, and both of those factors are increasing uh, exponentially when you multiply them together. So the demand, the total demand for capacity and throughput on the network is rising exponentially. So the carriers are scrambling to try to meet all of that. And so it only drives the need for additional infrastructure on multiple frequencies at different scales from macro cell to small cells to small access points that are close to the customers. So, you know, my take on it all, Jim, is that, uh, you know, the outlook is really pretty positive when you when you put it in that context. Then you run into, you know, some of the delimiters uh, involve uh, legislation or uh, local jurisdictions or, uh, um, you, you know, competing interests that, um, that uh, put a little bit of a damper on how quickly this rolls out, and of course, how much money the carriers have to spend. Sure. You know, and when you look at some of the debt loads they're carrying and some of the cash flows, and the fact that they can't, they can't uh, increase revenues as quickly as uh, the demand on the network is. You know, flat rate data plans have really kind of uh, put them in a bit of a quandary. Yeah, they're attractive to consumers like you and I, but you know the cash flows that result from that, given that the demand on the network is increasing so dramatically, it puts them in a bit of financial bind. So they're doing this dance about how do we continue to fund our CapEx programs and yet uh, you know, rely on our, our, our cash flows without going into huge debt to, to, to build out the network. So um, you know, my take always is that uh, we, they will, the carriers cannot stop 
building the network. They cannot stop upgrading and adding to the network, and I think that uh, bodes well for the people in the business. But you know, the unpredictability part of it is, you know, where when that spending will take place, quarter to quarter is hard to predict, and at what levels and uh, and what other external factors are going to somehow dampen that. Uh, that positive outlook, but uh, I'm I generally I'm very bullish on on this business and the, the network build out because uh, the demand is there and as long as it continues, uh, we're going to have to figure out ways to meet it. Sure, and and that's been sort of the overlying theme, if I could sum it up for for the for the past years, the 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 crying need for for more bandwidth, for more infrastructure. Yeah. The, the the pipeline's packed, and and it's a matter of uh, how it gets how it gets unpacked and and uh, who's who's going to Who's going to benefit from that? So, that's what's interesting about this industry is, is uh, even though the the demand is there uh, and the uh, people are in place to produce it, uh, we, we still can't quite predict how this is all going to unfold. And uh, that will be uh, that'll be fun to from, from our standpoint to to keep track of that and uh, to keep uh, people like uh, John and Leslie uh, busy trying to. Uh, trying to figure out what the what the heck's going on out there. So we look forward to bringing all that to you in 2020. Thank you for listening and have a great holiday. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.